Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm excited to continue in our series titled Living the Content Life. How many know we all need some contentment right now? Amen. We all need it. And uh, I found this, this message very difficult to prepare for. And so what that usually tells me is that God is dealing with some contentment in my heart. Amen. And sometimes that can be difficult. But I'm so glad because I feel like there's, there's something the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. Before we get started, I want us to just pray. And here's why I want to pray this morning. Because I don't want it to be about me or about what I'm saying. You see, we walk in this place and we sit here and everybody's facing me and it almost, it almost feels like at times you're ready to receive from me. But how many know you don't receive from me, you receive from God? That's what you want. And that's what we want, right? We don't want to receive from me, we want to receive from God this morning. And so our prayer is that all of us, including the speaker, opens up our heart this morning to receive the revelation that God has for us. Because once there's revelation, then comes the hard part, which is application. And without the application, revelation is just a good thought, y'all. I don't want you to leave here with a good thought. I want you to leave here transformed. And it's not for me to do, but it's for the Holy Spirit to empower. We just have to be willing vessels. So this morning, we need to take our lids off. Because if I want to put water in a cup, guess what? I can't fill it up if the lid is on it. And as I was, while Pastor Dave was up here doing, doing the front end, and I don't normally do this, I felt the Holy Spirit talk, and he said this to me, there's someone or some people in here this morning that when you walk out of this room, there's gonna be some things that are gonna break off of you. There's gonna be some things that are gonna fall. Listen to me. But if you don't take the lid off, I'm worried you won't receive what's about to happen. And those are not my words. I believe those are the Holy Spirit's words. And so this morning, we're gonna pray and we're gonna, we're gonna believe that as we read God's word, transformation is coming. There's some things going on. There's some things that you've been battling with that you don't know what to do with. And as you walk out of this room, I believe it's gonna fall off because you're giving it over to God. So Father, if you feel comfortable, I just want you to lift your hands right where you are. You don't have to lift them high. Just lift them. Father, we open our hands this morning as a posture and a surrender that we're here for you. There's nothing we can do, God. We can put up the fancy lights, we can put up the fancy music, and we can actually have fancy words, Lord. But it's you that moves, Holy Spirit. So we still our hearts this morning and know that you are near us. You are near us, God. And you wanna transform us from the inside out. So God, at the end of this service, as people walk out these doors, may they not say, what a great service, what great worship, what a great preacher. May they walk out saying, what a great God that we serve. Transform our hearts, God. We take off the lid, Lord. We take off the false bravado that everything is good and we open it up to what you have for us this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every single one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. I want to start this morning as we continue in our series, Living the Content Life. Um, I want to start this morning by reading a verse that might be familiar to a lot of us. If you're an avid sports fan or you have watched sports for a while um, or, or whether you're just in this world, you've been in this world and you do a lot of reading, you've probably come across or stumbled across this verse at some point in your life or whether you're a Christian or you're not. And it's a verse that we all know, but I, I want us to read this and we're gonna do, I'm gonna read it once and then we're gonna read it together. It's Philippians 4.13. Many of you could quote it because you, maybe your mom and dad taught it to you or you, you saw it on one of your favorite you know, sports teams or, 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 or you saw it on a banner or a sign. And it's this, Philippians 4.13, is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Let's read that together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One more time and say it like you mean it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that good news today or what, somebody? Come on. It's good news. It's good news because Tim Tebow said it was good news, right? <laughs> 
Some of y'all remember in 2009 when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, he wore on his eye black, right? What did he wear? Phil 413. Some of y'all thought he was talking about his Uncle Phil, meet me at 413, right? Some of, some of y'all didn't even know that was a Bible verse, but it, it's a Bible verse. And you see, I saw being in athletic realm, my background, I saw that a lot. Tattoos, I saw it everywhere from banners that would say Philippians 413. And, and then, you know, Tim Peebo, and I loved him. He is an amazing guy. And he would write that on there and he's going out on the field and he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's like winning the Heisman. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens, you know, and he's, some of y'all LSU fans are just boohooing right now because you're, you're getting some memories back. But remember, he won the national championship and he, I can do all things. And you couldn't hate the guy because he had scripture written on his face. So like, every time you looked at his face, you're like, I love him. I have to love him, right? And, and, and he's just, and, and it's a great verse and it's amazing and we can rejoice in that this morning. And, and some of you maybe have used that before. You've that scripture. I know I've prayed it in locker rooms. I'm, I'm praying with the saints and I'm like, oh God, well, you can, you give us strength today. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and us and we're gonna go out there and win the game and then I heard, you know, that the other team prayed that same prayer, so I'm wondering who's God actually hearing, you know, <laughs> kind of strange there. But still, he gives us all strength, and, and we tend to use that verse to gain success or favor, don't we? We tend to kind of go, I want to make sure that I'm going to get strength so I can go out and be successful, so I can conquer and, and it's a great verse for some of you, and just to kind of pull it back to normal life, maybe some of you have used that verse in the context of, of you know, when you're going into a job interview, you're walking in going, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, you know, and you're hoping to get the job. Or like me, you're lugging your five kids around Disney World and you have three on your back and you're going, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens and you're trying to muscle through it. Or maybe you're at CrossFit and you're trying to PR or, or whatever it is. You're trying to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And it's an amazing verse. But I don't want to bust anybody's bubble today, but we probably misuse that verse 99% of the time. Some of y'all are going, man, because listen to this, it's not a license to do whatever we want to do. Think about it for a second. If, if, if I believe that, if I truly believe and take that verse out of context that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then watch this. I believe that that verse is gonna give me the power to touch, jump up and touch the ceiling. Are you ready? On the count of three, you're about to see a miracle happen before your eyes because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Are you ready? On the count of three, count with me. One, two, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna embarrass myself, right? Now, who actually believed I was going to touch the ceiling? No one believed it, right? Does that mean you didn't have faith? No. Here's what it means. It means that's not what this verse was for. And we tend to use it as a license to kind of get whatever we want, do whatever we want, and kind of open the door. And I believe the intention is good. I'm not saying Tim Tebow was bad at using that. What I'm saying is in the context of what it's for, we misuse it because you can't do anything you want to do. You can't be anything you want to be because Christ gives you strength. And you're going, wow, harsh words, pastor, this morning. I'm just being honest. You can't beat Usain Bolt in a 100-meter dash because you believe in Jesus. I'm just going to, I'm just making sure. I don't know how fast Jesus was, but he was probably pretty fast. You're not as fast as Jesus, okay? Nor are you as fast as Usain Bolt. It's not something to give us that, that mustering, that strength, right? You can't just pray this verse and go, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. I want a six pack tomorrow, guys. And you'll wake up tomorrow and go, look at this, you know. And your wife's like, man, that's great, you know. It's like you can't, it, it, it doesn't work like that, right? You can't become a doctor because you put a lab coat on. You're not like, I'm not a doctor, but today I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you walk in the mouth. Would you go to somebody like that? No. So we walk in and we use it like a license to kind of do whatever we want and sometimes even to do it this way. You can't magically get a nicer house or a car or earn more money because I believe in Christ who gives me strength. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. None of those things are bad things. Wanting to be fast, wanting to be the best, wanting to have a bigger house, a nicer car. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But to use the Bible to justify our gains is not right. And using God as a tool to get what we want was never what this, this meaning of this verse was meant for. Because let's back up for a moment and stick with me here. Let's actually see who wrote this verse. When you're reading scripture, one good thing to do or when you see scripture is to begin to pull back from the text and read the entire chapter. Maybe even read the context of the whole book. What was it about? Because it changes what it was for. And listen to me, when you're reading the Bible, and we're gonna read some verses in a second. When you're reading it, some of these epistles, they're called letters. Those are essentially letters that Paul, Peter, some of the other apostles wrote. And as they wrote them to these churches, right, it got canonized into the Bible and the New Testament that we know today. So these are letters. So though it wasn't directly written to us, it absolutely was written for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we can utilize this opportunity to peek into a view of what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Because it was the Apostle Paul that was writing and pinning this verse. And he didn't tattoo it on his arm, right? Philippians 4.13 right there, guys, let me show you, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he, he didn't tattoo it on his arm. He was writing it in a jail cell. You heard Pastor Jacob talk about it last week. He was in prison in Rome writing to the church at Philippi. Now, it's a little different than what you think, right? It's a little different than what you can imagine because Paul wasn't using this verse so that he could kind of get a better jail cell, amen? He wasn't like, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. If he could do that, why wouldn't he break, break out then? Do you think he wanted to be in there? Do you think he enjoyed being in there? No. So then we need to back up and look at who wrote this and why he wrote it. If Paul was in prison, how did Paul really get there? Well, if we look in the New Testament and you can read all throughout some of the letters, you can read and put the story of Paul together. And the amazing thing about Paul is Paul was one of the best Jews in becoming a Pharisee that was around in that day and age. He was on his fast track to get fame, power, prestige. I mean, he was going to the top of his game. If it was the Super Bowl, he was almost, he was at the NFC Championship. Like he was there, right? He was about to make it. He had power, he had teaching. He says in, in Galatians 1, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. What that meant was Saul, King Saul, the first king, came from the tribe of Benjamin. So it was a prestigious thing. He was bragging on himself going, I was the Jews of Jews. I was the best of the best when I was in Judaism. And it was like having the most success that you can have in your category. Matter of fact, Paul was so zealous as a Jew and for his religion that he had so much zeal that he persecuted the church, that he would flog and kill Christians. He was right next to Stephen, we see in the book of Acts, when Stephen got stoned, and it said that Saul, his name was Paul after, but Saul stood by and approved that he was stoned. So we, we see what, what kind of the old Paul was before he had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And we read in the book of Acts several times where Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill more Christians because it was affecting his religion to kill more Christians. And as he was on that road, he got knocked off his high horse and had an encounter with Jesus that forever marked and changed his life. And so he, he Jesus was like, why are you persecuting me? He's like, are you Lord? He's like, I'm Lord. He's like, I'm gonna follow you. His eyes go blind. He walks into town. Ananias is there. He prays for him. The scales fall off his eyes and he begins preaching, teaching, being with the apostles, all for the Christian way of life. And he became probably, obviously next to Jesus, the most influential Christian that we know in this day, even 2,000 years later. No one else. And if it was a story I was writing in Hollywood, I don't know about you, or a movie I wanted to watch, it would end there, right? And he became a Christian and lived happily ever after, rainbow butterflies, run through the meadowy field and twirl my hair, right? We would, we would go like, this is great. And we would think it's gonna get better. 
it actually got much worse. Much worse for Paul. Because he then went against the religion that he grew up knowing. So they disowned him. His family cast him out. No one wanted to hear him or talk from him. The Christians that were supposed to accept him didn't even want to accept him because they didn't believe that he knew Jesus and he had been changed. So he was cast out from people and he began preaching to governments, planting churches and doing all of these amazing things. But I'm just saying, telling you right now, he suffered. Matter of fact, we're gonna read 2 Corinthians 11. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he writes how much he suffered. He brags on this. Here's, here's what he says. He says, five times I've received from the Jews the 49 lashes minus one. So 40 lashes meant you were gonna die probably. So he had 39. Not sure where they got the scientific evidence that 40 lashes would kill you, but he said, I got 39, so I'm still alive. That's what he said. Verse 25, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I'm gone without, often without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I don't want to be Paul. <laughs> And some of you maybe can feel like 2020 was that year for you, right? You got, I felt like I was shipwrecked three times. I felt like I was beaten with a rod, right? Because maybe you have been at the pinnacle of your career and all of a sudden, or the pinnacle of your life, and all of a sudden it just starts going down and, and you begin to go, what? And Paul used these as a badge to show how much he suffered for Christ. And so Paul ends up in prison writing to his disciples and he's penning this letter and we're gonna read in a second. It's actually a thank you note. The verses we're gonna read and I believe he's sitting in his cell and I can just imagine him old and frail and he's sitting in his cell and he's penning this thank you note to the church at Philippi. And as he's penning it and as he's writing it, I believe maybe he's reflecting back on his whole life. And as he's doing this, he's, he's writing and he's going, man, I'm just thinking of this, all the stuff that I've been through and I want to show you how to be content even if you have nothing at all. And I want to show you how to, the secret of being content when you have everything that you want. And Paul, in this little thank you note, begins to give us an angle in which we can see what the secret of contentment is really all about. And it has nothing to do with our external circumstances. It has everything to do with our internal position and who God is. Our internal position. And so Paul uses this opportunity and he pins this little thank you note. And to the church at Philippi, he gives them what I call a big lesson in a little note. Because that's what it is. It's a big lesson in a little note. I want us to receive that lesson this morning in Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 13. This will sound familiar to you. Let's read this morning and we'll kind of break it down and we'll close. Philippians four, verse 10, starting in verse 10. Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Pause, what does that even mean? They renewed our concern. Well, the church at Philippi was very generous. In Paul's day and age, let me do some teaching right now. When you were in prison, they didn't give you meals. You had friends and family that would come and take care of you if you had them. So if nobody came to see you, you were gonna starve or you were gonna die of dehydration. I mean, that was just the case. So Paul was thanking them because the church at Philippi had gathered some gifts together and sent it to take care of Paul. And so he's rejoicing greatly in the Lord that at last they renewed their concern for me. Here's what he says. Indeed, you were concerned, but you'd had no opportunity to show it. Maybe they couldn't get the gift there. Maybe there was no donkey to, right, to ride. Maybe, maybe they didn't have enough money. We don't know why, but they couldn't show it and they finally were able to show it. But here's where it changes in verse 11. Check this out. Paul, Paul says this. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Paul was writing a thank you note and then it flips. 
It doesn't feel like a thank you right now, right? Come on. And he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, and I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, this is where we all, come on, this is our verse. I can do everything or all this through him who gives me strength. So when you step back, this verse looks very different. When you step back, this is, verse isn't a license to do whatever we want. Watch this. This is a, this, really, this verse all talks about contentment. This verse is all about what it means to have the secret of being content no matter what's going on in your life. Think about that. So if Tim Tebow, and I know I'm, I'm picking on Tim, but that's okay, because he's a great guy. But if Tim Tebow writes that on there, here's what that would mean. That would mean whether I fall flat on my face, whether I don't win the Heisman, whether we go 0-12, whether I don't make it to the NFL, watch this, I'm content because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's what he's saying. So now that verse isn't about you winning the Heisman or you getting the job. That verse becomes something completely different. And Paul buries this secret within a thank you note. It's, it's almost like your in-laws. Some of y'all are familiar with this. So it's like your in-laws coming over and you feed them a great meal and you, you, you feed it up and you're, you're happy that you cooked it and you knew the steak was good or the gumbo or whatever. You knew it was all right and it was really good. And they were like, hey, thank you for having us over. Thank you for the meal. And then, then you know, mother-in-law comes over and goes, but it could use a little more salt, baby. You know, <laughs> some of y'all know what I mean by that. It feels like Paul was doing that, wasn't it? It feels like he was writing this thank you note and then all of a sudden he goes, but I want to let you know really what to be content about. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew something that we didn't know. Paul knew that in times of success, we have a tendency to be complacent, don't we? Come on. That in times of abundance, we think it's about us and not about God. I say it like this. In 2009, when I was with the Saints and we went on our 13-0 run, we would tell people all the time we had the angriest winning coaches in the league. I'm telling you right now. 13-0, blasting people out by 35 points. And we would walk in on Monday to watch film and we're like, man, our coaches are gonna praise us and it's gonna be amazing and it's gonna be awesome. We're all gonna be smiling and laughing about how we, we killed them and, and it would be awesome. And, and we came in, they're like, 300 yards to this team. Are you, Reese, make the tackle. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we won the game. What are you doing, you know? But they knew what Paul knew. They knew that the tendency for success is to get comfortable and not to give credit where credit is due. And so when we get into a successful season, and I love kind of speaking to the oil industry because it's feast or famine, one of the two. And when it's feast, it's a big feast. But when it's a famine, it's a big famine. And what we do is in times of feasting, we go, come on, we get a lot, we get to eat a lot, we get to do a lot, this is great. And in times of famine, we're like, why God, why me, you know? And we forget where it all really came from. That guess what? God is both in the feast and the famine. He's in both things. He's not in one thing. He's not a God that's just gonna go, I'm gonna rain down blessings on you and don't worry about me. You don't have to give me any credit. Take it, see you later. No, 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 no. Our purpose, the reason we were created was to give God glory and then to revel in that glory. Our ultimate purpose in life is to give God all the glory no matter what. Some of us thinks it's about us and we think oh, I get the glory. No, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. And we see right here that Paul was one of the greatest mentors, the greatest coach, one of the greatest church planners because he never missed an opportunity to give a lesson to those that he was teaching.
And in this thank you note, he begins to show them the secret of contentment, meaning don't rely on the gift that you gave me. It was great, thank you for it, but guess what? I'm gonna teach you the lesson of being content. I'm gonna teach you the secret of being content. Because what a great coach and a great mentor knows is this, just tell me where to put my eyes because where my eyes go, my body will follow. Where my eyes go, listen to me guys, my body will follow. And a great coach will tell you where to put your eyes. A great mentor will tell you where to put your eyes. And Paul took this opportunity to go, I wanna get you to focus on what's important. He said, you did a great thing, but don't get too, too big, right? Remember, come on back in. He said, remember, it's not really about you, it's all about God. And he gives them the secret of contentment in this short and little note. Because how many of y'all know the focus of the world for contentment is, fulfill, is, is really trying to fulfill the desire for more? How many know that, right? So more. How many of y'all seen infomercials? We don't even like watch info. My kids don't even know what infomercials are anymore. But right, you watch, watch infomercials and like they're addicting, aren't they? Come on. I mean, I'm just being honest up here. They do a great job of pitching their product, right? It is amazing. I remember I was flipping through not too long ago and I think the remote got stuck because I don't usually watch that stuff. And I'm just like, why is it? And I saw, I think it was about pans, right? It was like this, it, nothing will stick to this pan. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. And they're like, watch this cheese get burnt on there and I'm like what cheese can get stuck I'm no way you know and like look at the egg dried on but flips right off and I'm like this is a Cho burnt chocolate no problem and I'm like oh. all of a sudden I find myself three and a half minutes later sucked into this infomercial and, I, and I'm, I'm just like, this is amazing. We could get pans that we could put our kids on there that won't stick to them. We just flip them right off, you know. We just like, it's amazing. And I'm sucked into this infomercial and I look over at my wife and I was like, sweetie, we need one of those. We need like, and only for 1995, we can get two sets. That's even better. And my wife looked at me, she goes, absolutely not. That's just... What's crazy is three minutes before, I had no need for this, but all of a sudden, it was up in my face and it convinced me that I had a desire and a need that needed to be filled. And so what was a want turned into a need, y'all. And the world will fool us like that, won't it? It'll think that you need the next job. It's something I call the next thing dilemma because we're always wanting to have the next thing. And listen to me, there's nothing wrong with nice pans or nice houses. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when we just want more and we think that if I just get this next job, watch this, if I can just pay off this debt, man, our life will be so much easier. Let me, let me caution you. I counsel a lot of people. Pastor David counsels a lot of people who have paid off their debt. Guess what? Their life is still broken and they're still discontent with everything. Because... Living an easy life is not the answer. It's being able to live the godly life when it's not easy. That's the answer. And we sit there and we say, well, if I just had this, if I just got this job, if my kid would just start acting right, please, Lord Jesus, right? If I could just get them out of the house and into college, everything will be good. If I could just, if we could just have a little more savings, if we could just get over, if I could just get a job. And it feels like once you get to the next thing, you still want, oh, next thing? I've heard, when I was in the NFL, I heard players talk about, if I could just get like three million, if I get to three million, I'm gonna quit the game. I'm just gonna quit it all together. Well, they still, they get there, but they go, nah, I want more now. It's like, you always want more. There's never not a next thing. And the problem is when we put our hopes, dreams, and desires in that next thing, it will never fill us up. It will always let us down and there will never be contentment. Because Paul knew exactly what he was doing. And the quest, the world's quest and focus for, contain, for, for contentment is not our Christian belief in what contentment is about. Matter of fact, let me give you what I believe Paul's words show us and what I wanna break down for the next 10 minutes and then we'll close is this, the secret of being content in all circumstances. You can write this down, take a picture. In all circumstances is to focus, focus on the Lord as sovereign, savior, and strength. 
Those are three big terms, and we're going to talk about them, and then we'll close. The secret of being content in all circumstances is to focus on the Lord as sovereign, Savior, and strength. Number one, write this down. Contentment comes from focusing on the Lord as the sovereign one to whom I must submit. Listen to me now. This is really big. It's one thing to know the one in control. It's another thing to submit to the one that's in the control. Say it again. It's one thing to know the one, God, who's in control of everything. It's another thing to submit to him. Paul, at the beginning of that thank you note, he said, I rejoice in the Lord. Pause. He made sure he gave God all the credit, y'all. He said, I know who's in charge. I thank the Lord that he used you to give me a gift. Paul, in his thank you note, knew that God was in control. But I don't think this was easy for Paul. Matter of fact, Paul says that I have learned to be content. Contentment is something that you learn. It's a process that you walk through when you're walking with God. You begin submitting to the process of going, God, you're in control. You're in control. You're in control. And little by little, you learn to walk with him and you learn to trust him, just like you and your spouse. When you guys got married and you moved into the house together and you're like, oh, this life is gonna be so great, right? It wasn't so great at first. We all know, right? Don't lie. And you get in there and you're getting used to one another and it was awesome, wonderful, great. And, and you're, you're, you're walking together and, and as you walk, you learn to trust one another in areas you didn't even know that you needed some help in. And you begin walking and trusting. You learn how to grow together. Paul is going, I know how to be on the top of my game and have everything I've ever wanted. And I know what it's like to have nothing at all. He said, but I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Why, Paul? Because I know the one that's in control. I know the one who can give me everything and I know the one who can take it away. I know the one that's gonna provide for me and I know the one that wants what's best for me and he'll take away what I don't need if I'm desiring it too much. Not because he doesn't like you, but because he loves you. He'll take something away for you to go, it's becoming your God, you don't need it. I wanna be your God. And we see Paul in this amazing first kind of verse start to understand everything that God was trying to do, that he is in control now. We have a control problem here in the United States of America, amen? So where are all my control freaks at? I'm, I'm me included. Come on, somebody. We, you're the ones that don't like anyone to drive you around. Some of your spouses, look at y'all. Some of y'all are waving their hands in the air for them. It's like, dang, Pastor David's right here for marriage counseling. We'll help you guys, okay? Right? Some, some of y'all, you know that because you know you're a control freak because you can't stand when somebody else drives you somewhere. You're like, and you're itching. You're like, yeah, I'll ride with you. But do you want, um, maybe we'll take my car. We'll take my car. No big deal. And, and many times it's because you're nervous of the driver. But let's just be honest. You really just don't like to be out of control. You want your hands on everything. You want to control and you want to steer and you want to turn. And, and I'm the same way. I'm a control freak. And unfortunately, we pass this on to our kids, which is terrible. Matter of fact, my nine-year-old, she's very strong. That's a nice way of saying something. A very strong young woman. And, and she's too much like me. And she's a control freak. And what she ends up doing, and a lot of adults do this as well. I've seen it. Is that she'll feel, her emotions will feel out of control. Watch this. So what she will do is try to control something that's near her. Isn't that interesting? When you feel out of control... To feel in control, you want to control something else. So if, if like she feels out of control with me and she sees her brother, she'll be like, stop looking at me like that. Stop looking at me, you know? Or, or, or she'll just, she'll try to manipulate me to go, well, daddy, you need to say sorry first and then I'll say sorry. Like she's trying to control when I tell her this. I'm working on her and I go, sweetie, control is a myth. None of us have control. The only control we have is to submit under the sovereignty of God's amazing rule as Father, King, Lord, Friend, and Savior. And I tell her, I said, and what I'm teaching you 
is when you submit to the obedience of this father, then I can help steer your life and help you go in the direction you need to go. And it's the same goes for us. When our hands are on the wheel, we will never be content because we think we know the right way to go. When in actuality, God, watch this, most of the time, he rescues me from me. Some of us are looking at our situation around us going, you're, you're evil, you're evil, you're evil. Rescue me from them, them, mama and them, daddy and them. This job, my boss, mm, don't like him, right? You're, you think it's everything around you and God goes, no, I'm rescuing you from you. I'm rescuing you from you. He, Pastor David said it best, he is the personal God and we need to surrender control. Here's what 1 Peter 5 says. Let me give you a little encouragement this morning. This is our job. Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore. Under who, Peter? Under God's mighty hand. Why? So that he may lift you up in due time. Watch this. There will be a season of lifting. We just don't know when it is. Listen to me. 2020, though the year may come to an end calendar-wise, it doesn't mean this year is actually going to stop. But watch this. In due time, if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. And watch this. Verse 7, because some of y'all have anxiety right now. So cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Listen to me. Look at me. Because he cares for you. Some of y'all are sitting here and I... I don't know the situation, but you're going, God doesn't care for me. He doesn't, he doesn't care for me. He doesn't know that at night I go to bed worrying because I'm not sure if I'll be able to feed my son or daughter. God doesn't feel like he cares for me. Look at me. Just because you feel out of control doesn't mean he's not in control. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. Number two, write this down. Not only is he sovereign, but contentment comes from focusing on the Lord as the Savior whom I serve. So many times that we think that our plans for our lives are better than God's plans, and here's why. We can make sense of our plans, we can't make sense of God's plans. Isn't it true? We do. I remember uh, before I moved here about seven years ago and became a pastor, I told my wife, my dad, my mom, anyone who would listen to me, I'll never become a pastor. And look where my life plan took me, okay? <laughs> Nowhere in the realm of possibility did I ever see becoming a pastor or speaking on stage. And all of a sudden, seven years later, I look back and go, that's not my plan, that's God's plan. Because he's not just savior of our sins, he's savior of ourselves. Which means, I don't know what's best for me. And I know that God in my time of need will provide the things that I need when I need it. Not before, not after, usually when I need it. Why? So that we can rely and submit under his control and authority as father and savior. That way we don't get too far out of, from God. But guess what? We're not groveling on ourselves. He gives us the right time, the right moment. He saves us and picks us up when we need it. And there's a purpose in that because we serve the Savior because of what he's done for us. And I believe Paul knew this right now. He was in need from the church. He was in need in the prison. But he said, I want you to know I wasn't in need because I've learned to be content. I believe Paul knew what Jesus said, the promise that Jesus had in Matthew 6, where he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In context, Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about what you're eat, where you're gonna eat, where you're gonna sleep, what clothes you're gonna wear. Why? He goes, because your father in heaven knows what you need. So seek first. Now, from a practical standpoint, we're going, cool for you, you're in ministry because you like love God, so you must be doing good. But for me in the real world, I can't really seek God first. 
I think we're, there's a misnomer about seeking God first. What does that mean? Watch this. It's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the great commandment. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, all of it, that is seeking God first. It doesn't mean, watch this, that you have to work for him or work in a church or do ministry all the time. It's where your heart is. It's where your heart is. And we see this time and time again and that Paul goes, I've served God whether I've had a lot or whether I've had a little. I've always served God and he provides for my needs. He knows what you need. Paul never stopped serving God and there are so many people in here who go, I just don't have time to focus on the Lord. I just don't have time. You don't not have time because as you seek and serve God as Savior, watch this, he provides for your basic need. But don't be confused. Don't confuse need with greed, though. Come on, somebody. Amen. Don't confuse need with greed. Because what we define as need isn't always what God defines as need. Amen? What we define as, God, I need this. God goes, do you? Because <laughs> if, I, if I give you that, I don't think you're really going to seek me anymore. God says, show me you can be faithful with little. I'll show you you can be faithful with much. Watch this. We serve him in our giving. Pastor David talked about it today. Part of the faith process in discipleship is getting to the point where you're tithing. And I would say this. Tithing is probably one of the last things that most believers do. Why? Because it's the hardest thing to do. Because watch this. You're saying, God, here's my money. (laughs) But I don't know how I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And what, you're, what are you doing? You're putting all your dependency upon God. That's all he's ever wanted. He doesn't want you just to give to the church because you love the church. He wants you to give to him because he, you love him and you trust him and you put all your faith in him. And it's the hardest thing that we do, but we can serve him as savior and we learn to be content because because we go, God, I give to you every week, every month, 10%. I give it to you even when I'm struggling over here, but I give it to you anyway because you say if I seek you first, boom, you're gonna provide for me. I'm believing you're gonna provide. That's a big faith step. So we do it in our our actions, our serving, who we are, everything else moving forward, and we give thanks for that. And we serve him as Savior. Contentment comes when we continue to serve him. Number three, and we're closing here, is this. Contentment comes from focusing on the Lord as the strength in whom I trust. So, full circle. We started with Philippians 4.13. We're closing with 4.13. This verse begins to mean something different now. Because Paul says, I can do all things. All things. Paul didn't mean we can do anything we want, but he did mean we can do everything God has called us to do. What does that mean, Pastor Chris? That means when you think you don't have the strength to do something, God provides that inner strength. That word through, the Greek preposition, actually means in. So so it it could be like this. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Jesus isn't a tool that we use to get what we want. He's the sufficiency that we need for everything we have. So watch this. When you think you're not enough, men, look at me, to give a devotion in your family every morning and to sit there and to read a scripture and talk to your kids, to pray with your wife and you're going like, I can't do that. I, 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 don't, I don't read the Bible as well as you do or, or, or I don't have words to speak. This is when it applies. This is when you quote Philippians 4.13, you go, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. Because you're, you're going, I'm not relying on my strength or my words. I'm relying on the presence of God. 
I'm relying on the power, the infused power of the Holy Spirit to speak to my wife, edify my wife, pray for my wife, wash her in the words, pray for my kids, and build my family. I hear so many times, so many men just go like, I just, I don't know what I'm gonna say in prayer. I, I tell them, pray with your wife every night. Not the Our Father, it's a good prayer, but I want you to pray to God. Let her hear you talk to your Heavenly Father. It will bring security to her. Take her by the hand and say, I'm leading, let's pray. And when you pray, you're going, I don't know what I'm gonna say, God, I don't know what to say. And you just talk. I don't care if you stumble, mumble, you work your way through it. Why? Because you can do all things <laughs> through Christ who gives you strength. I was with my son the other night. Literally, it was a couple nights ago. And I lay down, I pray with all my kids at night and I'm praying with them individually. And I, I prayed with my four-year-old and as I'm praying with him, I just felt like the spirit was going, ask, ask him to pray. And so I asked my four-year-old, I said, hey, bud, you, you want to pray? Oh, no, daddy, you pray. And I was like, oh, uh, I already prayed. He's like, oh, okay. I was like, great, you're listening. Awesome, wonderful. And I go, well, why don't, why don't you try? He goes, daddy, I don't know how to pray. He's four years old. And I go, buddy, well, just do what daddy did, and I've taught you to pray. And here's what he said, and it just like melted my heart. He said, Daddy, what if I mess up and I don't have the words to say? And man, I'm writing this message and I just felt the spirit quicken. That's when you use this verse. Hey, buddy, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You might not have the words, but God didn't say have good words. He said have a good heart. Listen to me. Your kids and your wife don't care how you say it. They care what you do. And we tend to overthink and think it's about our strength. No, no, no. The secret of contentment is not self-sufficiency. It's Christ-sufficiency. It's Christ-sufficiency that I am nothing and can do nothing without him and I am content having nothing or having everything because without him, I am nothing. And when you get to that place where it doesn't mean you don't worry, it just means you know who to place your worry upon. It doesn't mean you don't get angry, you just know, you, you know who you take your anger to. All of those things you work through but I am content, not because of what I have, as Paul said, or because of what I need, listen to me, because I can do all things, what he has called me to do. I can survive through this. I can be content and joyful no matter what's going on. Why? Because of Christ who gives me strength. So Father, this morning we thank you that you give us strength. You are of the everlasting Father. And this morning as as I was speaking, I pray you quickened the hearts of believers, Lord. The, heart believers of, uh, the hearts of the believers that are in this room, Lord, right now. Quicken their heart. There could have been something that you said, that you spoke to them, Lord, that really they felt the weightiness and the heaviness of your spirit in here. And I thank you, God, that you're speaking and moving in this room. Lord, thank you for being in control when it feels so out of control in this world, God. Thank you for being sovereign over all. Thank you for being our savior, our rescue, our redeemer, our refuge in tough times where we can find joy, where we can dance on days that we don't know if we have the strength to dance. And thank you, Lord, for being our strength and holding us up when we feel like collapsing down, God. I pray for all those in here, Lord, who feel like this is impossible. May the words of your word, Philippians 4.13, reign true, that they can do this. They can live a godly life in word, action, thought, deed, because you give them strength. Thank you, Holy Spirit. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed this morning.
Maybe you're here this morning, this sounds foreign to you. You're going, ah, this sounds great, but what you're speaking of is a relationship with Jesus, and I don't have that relationship. How do I, how do I have what you have, Pastor Chris? Well, it's not, a, it's not magic. It's just faith. We just have to turn away from what we think is best and turn to what God says is best. And we commit our lives as followers of Jesus. The Bible says, Romans says this, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. Not just saved and go to heaven, but bringing heaven here on earth, finding that peace that only God gives you. And maybe you're here this morning, you're going, I wanna start that relationship, I've never done that before. Well, it's as simple as A, B, C, A, we just admit we're sinners. You can't do it on your own. We're in need of a savior. B, you believe that what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago was enough to cover our past, present, and future sins, and he sits enthroned upon God where we see, confess him as Lord, King of our life, and as Savior of our hearts. Today, you can invite him in and commit yourself to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. It's not about attending church. It's about living like Jesus lived and walking with him. And I'm just gonna pray a prayer. Matter of fact, we're all gonna pray a prayer this morning. But if you've never done that, you've never committed your life to Jesus, we wanna give you that opportunity right now. So if you're going, Pastor Chris, include me in that born-again prayer, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Uh, I don't want anybody looking. But if you go, Pastor Chris, include me in that born-again, include me in that prayer this morning. I wanna commit my life to Jesus. I wanna become a follower of Christ. And I've never done that before. I just want you to slip your hand up and wave it at me. I'm the only one looking. I see you. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Anyone else? I see you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised this morning, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, in a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you no matter what. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Come on, can we give it up for all those who raised their hand this morning?